Let's get it. Monday, December 28th, 2020. Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I'm your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. We are in the week of putting 2020 in our rearview mirror. Obviously, this is a pre-recording. There's going to be no talking about news releases, no no responses to reviews. Uh, we are on our holiday hiatus ourselves, getting that New Year cheer on. We will be back to our regularly scheduled broadcasts on January 11th. As a lot of shows, we, we're doing our best of 2020s. Last week was the top eight most downloaded interviews of 2020. This week is our top eight most downloaded benefits breakdowns of 2020. And if you're new to the podcast, what is a benefits breakdown? Every five episodes, so on the fives and zeros, sometimes a one, sometimes a four, depending on if there's a battle where I, you know, anyways, uh, I go internal into the VA and I go find a program, an office, a, a benefit, and I shake them. And I go, what do you do? How do you help veterans? And how are veterans eligible for your services? They're some of our most popular episodes of the podcast. Many of these in our, are in our top 10, and the most popular download of this year was a benefits breakdown. So we're going to go top eight. We're going to go from eight to one, and it's going to start with episode 180, 211, 215, 205, 220, 185, 201, and 190. And I erroneously said last week that it was judged by the first seven days of an episode's drop, how many downloads within the first seven days, it's actually within the first 30 days. So, but either way, there's a little window there to keep it on an equal playing field. So without further ado, here are the top eight most popular benefits breakdowns of 2020. Enjoy. Walk me through, you you can both do now hearings both in person and in your living room. Yes. So, so, so in, in either legacy or AMA, you can do, uh, you can ask for hearings and traditionally the board has offered in-person or video hearings through teleconferencing. So those still exist in both areas. What we are rolling out and currently under testing since July, and we expect to roll out in early 2020, is what we call virtual virtual hearings, which is very similar to telehealth. So you will be able to have a hearing on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer by linking through the Video Connect app on VA. So if you get a letter from the v- from the board that says we've scheduled your hearing, it's on this date. It will it will also tell you in the future once we roll this out for full functionality, you also can choose the virtual capability. If you'd like to choose the virtual capability, please contact us at this number. The capability to be able to do it on your phone or to have a hearing on your phone or on your iPad or on your computer is very, very new. And we're very excited about the opportunities that's going to give us to connect with our veterans and provide access. What does your office do? And and I say this because when I first glanced at your office, uh, I saw it as just a debt collection arm of the VA when you first sent that email. And, and I I think that's fair for, as, as an initial look. Um, and when I told my colleagues that I was interviewing the debt management office, there's Let's just say there was a lot of passion uh, behind the responses, and, and I, I think the first thing that any veteran or any American would ask is, why, why are you all doing this in the first place? And, and on the surface, it may look wrong to collect uh, money from veterans, 
especially say if the VA discovered an overpayment at no fault to the veteran. I'm, and I'm excluding those that knew that they were getting overpaid because unfortunately that does happen. Um, and, and that's taking away taxpayer money from people that need it. And that, of course that's wrong. But, but I'm thinking of those family members that report on a death of a veteran to the VA, but still get payments. Uh, if it's no fault of the veteran or that family member, I think it's safe to say that collecting on that debt is sometimes morally wrong. But I also know that question is not fair to you guys because you guys don't make the rules at all. And after talking with you and how you described your office, I think your office is completely something else. And I would agree. And uh, But I do think there is a, as we talked about, the ethical and the moral uh, piece of this business that we work through every single day. And we have amazing employees that do that wonderfully. And they're, and they're highly trained to do that. I think for me, uh, and you asked what, what got us into this business. For me, uh, my son was diagnosed at the age of three with something called sagittal synostosis. And we had to immediately, without any prior notice, save his life. Uh, saving his life cost about $1.3 million. He had to oh, have wow. a full cranial vault reconstruction. He had uh, 12 surgeons, both plastic and cranial facial reconstruction surgeons. And so my leaving my past job, uh, being the federal executive board director of the White House liaison to the state of Minnesota to come collect debt uh, for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and in many cases on veterans, uh, is really tied back to someone needs to really make sure that they're taken care of. Someone needs to make sure that while we have a legal obligation to collect overpayments on behalf of the federal government, the way we do that has to be tied to what we call compassion. And rather than being- It's important. It is important yeah. and it and differentiates itself from those in the IRS or the Social Security Administration and we partner with them closely, but it really is guiding the financial future of veterans to a better tomorrow. And we do that by working with each and every veteran on the repayment process. You know, both both testimonies talked about, you know, being in in relationships where there was violence used against them. Um, speaking of services with your program. Is there a service if someone comes to you and says, hey, this is a, a hyper um, violent relationship and I want to get out, but I want to get out safely. Is that a service that you can help them with? Absolutely. Uh, as I've mentioned, we have intimate partner violence coordinators and one of their jobs is to be that person to go to that go to person. But uh, but we also have a whole network uh, within each VA medical center. Uh, we call them IPV champions. And so professionals, mental health professionals, social workers, and so forth in the clinics, um, we train them to use our, our trauma-informed language to uh, have the resources at their fingertips so that we're really hoping to build the network to the point that um, at any point where a veteran walks in the door and says, I'm concerned about my safety mm-hmm. or my relationship, that we will get them to a person who's been trained to talk with them about that, has the resources in their hands, and if necessary, to, to help walk with them on their journey of building their own personal safety plan um, and putting those those plans in place, connecting them with shelters or resources or advocates in the community, whatever's needed. And how are you eligible for, for this land allotment? Uh, it's, it's not only veterans, right? It, it, it's, it's better if the veteran has passed away the heirs to a veteran are eligible too, right? Yeah, this is Paul. That's that's absolutely correct. Um, and that's a, another benefit to this, this allotment program. The basic, uh, not- the basic eligibility requirements are you had to have served 
um, between August 5th, 1964, and the passage of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, uh, December 31st, 71. And so how the process, the eligibility is working is DOD and VA uh, were tasked by the legislation to give the Bureau of Indian Affairs a list of veterans who served between that period of time. And then B BIA, Bureau of Indian Affairs, would determine whether the individual is Alaska Native uh, per law. Mm -hmm. And that got sent to, that list gets sent to the Bureau of Land Management to determine if the a Native veteran had previously received an allotment pursuant to those previous acts that were just described. And then we notify those eligible individuals. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so what, for all these land allotments, why is the Department of Interior doing this in the first place? Paul, can I take a stab? Absolutely, Rob. Yeah. Uh, you, you ask a very, very, uh, a question that dates all the way back to the treaties between the uh, American Indians and in this case, uh, uh, agreements with the Alaska Native uh, people. Yes, sir. And uh, you ask, well, why, why is the Bureau of Land Management or Department of Interior providing this opportunity for the vets? It provided the opportunity for uh, American Indians receiving 160 acres uh, to be out, to be allowed the opportunity to be a farmer. Now, John, you've talked about filing your claim. How long did it take uh, roughly from start to finish to file? Uh, what, was the, what was the length? We started to file our blue water claims. As I indicated, the mine, mine were all denied at first because I filed in 2017. In 2019, when the law was passed, we started to file uh, re uh, for reconsideration. Um, they held that off. I, so I filed in July of 2017. Um, no, excuse me, July of 2019. Um, and basically, I got, they, they said, okay, hold off. The law doesn't take effect till January of, uh, of 2019. Uh, 20. So um, ho hold off and uh, we'll get back to you. So, uh, but sure enough, in January of 2020, they did get back to me. Uh, I was set up with a, uh, a what they call a CNP exam uh, compensation. And Dave, can you jump in for me? What does CNP stand for? Uh, compensation and pension. Yes, compensation and pension, right. So I, I had a, uh, an exam set up. Um, I started receiving benefits in February of 2020. It was fast. I mean, I was not, I was not after, after waiting for some 50 odd years to deal with a VA, I, I was amazed at how fast they responded. Gotcha. And what was the, what was the communication like? It sounds like you, you were in communication with the VA where and that they were pretty helpful in letting you know when to file, when not to file. Yes. Um, well, I, I went back to a, a different uh, veteran service officer. The one that had filed my original claims had been reassigned to a different county. Gotcha. So I went back, I went back to another one. This guy was very, very helpful. Um, he told me the documents that I needed to assemble, that type of thing. Um, and, and if I could just interject here, yeah. if anybody has got a history of assignments, a, it's a dog-eared um, document that you'll find in your service record 
Now, I just happened to have it. I was given a bunch of paper from my service record and happened to the, find it. Like the page three. That's what the page three. It's got all the different yeah. assignments. All your different assignments. That document proved to be critical. It showed that I was on the ship during the period of time that I said I was on the ship. Um, I then needed to get um, uh, I, I, I went to the National Archives and, and ordered uh, deck logs for the USS Davis. Oh, wow. Um, you don't have to do that now. Okay. <laughs> the, I, the, the VA has compiled a lot of that um, data for you now. So, so that was a that was something that took took a little while to get the to get the deck logs, go through the deck logs, find out which ones um, you I needed to show that I was within the twelve mile um, territorial waters. Yeah. And so I submitted those, just those pages. And I think part of the reason I was as successful as I was is I got precisely the information that they asked for and didn't submit a lot of other stuff, um, things that pe people had to wade through. Right. I had the um, my medical records uh, showing, you know, when, when I was diagnosed with the, with the presumptive diseases. So those pages, those couple pages there, history of assignments page couple pages of deck log and that, that was it. How long did it take for you to collect everything that you needed? It, um, you know, I'm going to have to guess, but I'm going to say it took me maybe a month. Wow. It doesn't need to take you that long. It doesn't need to take you that long. If you happen to have that history of assignment, yeah. then the, the rest of it will now go pretty easily. The, your veteran service officer will probably – be able to um, go to the the VA website um, and pin down uh, when your ship was within the waters, and the the rest is pretty pretty smooth sailing as long as you've got the the medical records to show that you do ha in fact have the diseases. You'll then go to the CNP exam where a doctor will um, will have a conversation with you. Is really how it really boils down to. They just have a conversation with you about your medical history. They've got the documents, but they want to hear a little bit about the medical history, how it's affected you, and that type of thing. And then they, um, then some sort of magic happens, which I guess Dave um, is more, much more familiar with than I am. And there comes, there comes a benefits letter, comes back, and and away you go. Gotcha. Where does this get processed at, Dave? So we have uh, eight regional offices that are centralized doing these these, these claims, um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean if you don't live near one of them that you're not going to get your claim considered. It's just we 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 have specialized um, training and, and specialists working on these claims, trying to get them done as accurately and consistently as possible. Um, but like you said, you you get the CMP examination. You go there. The doctor's going to take some um, either me measurements or. You know, sometimes he's just going to take your history, whatever it is he needs to fill out his portion of the exam, and then it goes to uh, the rating board, and they're going to make a determination based on the the Vazer D, the the rating schedule, and um, and hopefully that goes pretty quickly. Personally, I haven't seen a lot of news on the subject. Uh, most notably, with John Stewart being the advocate for veterans on this, uh, a lot yes. of blog write ups on that. Briefly, how did the registry start? Well, it's it started from service members that had deployed to um, Iraq and Afghanistan, and they were concerned about their exposures to dust particles and specifically the burn, burn pits that were 
that they ran into yeah. when they were, were deployed to those areas. And uh, in 2014, Congress required DOD and VA to come up with some way of recording and, and offering those veterans and service members who were concerned about their health exposures an opportunity to record those exposures and talk to a healthcare professional about those those exposures and in 2014 June of 2014 the registry began and it's continuing today i know right now there are approximately 194,000 participants in the registry of approximately a population of about uh, 2.7 million veterans that are eligible to to join the registry. Wow. It's actually 195,000. Yeah. I looked at it right before yeah. I came <laughs> over. And, and kind of the point is it, it changes about yeah. 500 a week. So, exactly. so, so if you go online, there's kind of a counter. When, when you go to register, sure. um, you'll, you'll see like a number in the upper right-hand corner. And, and uh, it actually changes in real time. Not that I sit there and watch it, but but you know from time to time, I'll go in it in different times of the day. It's like, oh, you know, it's up 20, you, you, know, you, know, uh, you know, based on last time I looked at it. Who is the burn pit registry for? I think I think it's almost a rhetorical question, but I think it needs to be said. And how how are those veterans eligible to sign up for for the program? Yeah, first and foremost, you have to have gone to the eligible countries. And you know, if we had a map in front of us, if you, if you looked at Iraq and, and went down through Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, all the way down the coast to Oman, if you went to any of those countries from Desert Storm till now. Um, oh, so it includes Desert Storm. Yeah, yep. yeah, Desert Storm. And, and a lot of a lot of oil burning during then. Yes, yeah. a- absolutely. Yeah. So, so Very Desert good. Storm and the people who deployed, you know, to those countries after Desert Storm, and then click forward to nine eleven, Afghanistan and Djibouti were added in fourteen. But after nine eleven, if you were in Afghanistan before then, you're not eligible. But I don't think many people were, you know, because the bases were you know set up, you know, kind of post nine eleven. And then if you were in the seas around the um, Arabian Peninsula, so, so the Red Sea, the Arabian Sea, you know, the Persian Gulf, Gulf of Oman, you know, essentially all, all that water. If you, if you were on a ship during that time too, then you're eligible. And, and that's from Desert Storm forward. So, so people are cruising right now are eligible to join the registry. Why sign up? Yeah, I I, I think that's a, a fair a fair question, right? What's the purpose? What's the benefit to the veteran that signs up? I, I know for me personally, I I just deployed to Iraq, and as far as the registry registry is concerned, I want to know if there's any health impact yeah. to me in the future, and I want I want to have advance notice of that. And if you're part of this registry. Uh, there's an opportunity that you could get advance notice if there is anything that is that is that is noticed in the future. So, so it's uh, it, it, that's a, that's a one reason to join that. Registry. So long term care, yeah. looking forward, what's that look like as far as getting advance notice? Like, hey, just let you know, you might be more susceptible to X, Y, and Z because based on the research, is that what we're looking? Based at? on the research, and okay. and one of the things that the registry offers to to uh, individuals. You can you can go back into the registry at any time once you're a participant and update your your contact information so that we can contact you. We have your email address, we have your telephone number, and if there's any updates or any information concerning the registry, that's the opportunity that we have to uh, feed that information to you. Like for, like for what new services, new information, that sort of thing. Exactly. So these grantees, they're getting just a straight injection uh, from this yep. three hundred million dollars one time. 
So it's a one time now where we're providing all, we've given them all this money up front so they can plan. They know that they have all these additional resources. We didn't want to hold anything back. We want to make sure everything got into the community as quickly as possible. If that money turns out not to be enough, the VA is committed to do whatever is necessary to help these veterans and, and we will come up with more money. So wow. right now we're assessing how the, the impact of these funds, we're going to see how this works. We're going to see what the need is. And, you know, with three months from now, it turns out it wasn't enough. The VA is going to do what, so, what it ever needs to do to provide. So if, so if you're a grantee, you're getting uh, a year's worth of funding up front, nothing quarterly, nothing biannually. It's just like, bam. All here front, to, right. So this wow. 53, it's a 53% increase in our budget and boom, you got it all up front. So you can do whatever is necessary. We are asking our grantees to do an awful lot now. Uh, and we want to make sure that they have the resources to do it. We've also given them tremendous relief on regulatory requirements, so they have a lot more flexibility than they've had before. We want them to go out and create relationships with hotels and motels so they can get people into safe environments. We know that with this illness, you don't want to be in a congregate shelter. You don't want to be in congregate environments because that's how the virus gets transmitted. You want to be in, in, in safer uh, social distancing is, is, of course, very important. So if we could put people in hotels and motels, it's going to be much safer for them, of course, getting them off the streets. So that's a big piece of what our grantees are doing now. So we've placed thousands of people already in hotels and motels to reduce their risk and, frankly, save lives. I was assuming that this was over the recent news release that I saw. In it, uh, I noticed that it talked about your office, that you guys were suspending all debts, all debts, all veteran debts under the jurisdiction of the Treasury Department and suspending collection action or extending repayment terms on pre-existing VA debts. Uh, now, a couple of days ago, the, even the president was talking about this, right? Something, something to this effect? Uh, yes, he did. Um, last week on April 3rd, um, it was included in some of the comments um, for the department to use any authority to postpone debt collections. Um, and so what we've done is ensured our actions are consistent with those, consistent with those directives and um, currently we're suspending new and current debts. Um, but for existing debts, we feel it's important that we give the veteran a choice um, to determine whether they want to stay on collections or two, if they want to continue with the payment plan that they've asked us um, to respect, or if they want to change your payment plan up to a five-year payment plan. And so we think it's really important to respect what the veteran has chosen um, and for them to have an option in um, decision that they've already made. We're required by law to refer delinquent debts to Treasury when they're 120 days delinquent. And so uh, the department has transitioned a number of those to the Treasury jurisdiction. But really while they're there, uh, there won't be any offsets of railroad retirement, OPM salary, Social Security, tax refunds, all those have stopped in order to provide that revenue stream to a veteran in need. It's really important to provide relief uh, to veterans at this time. We have a very, um, very critical and very important uh, customer, and that being a veteran. And so I think providing the relief to veterans is our number one priority at this time. If they need a home, they can get a home loan. If they need education, they can get education. If they were hurt in service, we pay compensation. If you weren't hurt in service, but you fell on hard times, we give you pension. 
there's just an array of benefits out there for veterans, and we really want to just make sure that all the veterans know what's out there. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov or call 1-855-948-2311. All right, that is it for this week's episode. As always, if you like this podcast, if you enjoyed it, let others know by smashing that subscribe button and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, which will push us up in the algorithms, giving more veterans a chance to catch this podcast. All the benefits, breakdowns, all the news releases, everything. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always catch us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast nor any media products or services they may provide. Next week's going to be a little treat. We're going to do a top 10 of, of some hidden gems that maybe didn't get the most downloads of the year, but maybe should have gotten a little more attention. So it's going to be a little bit of Tanner's hidden gems, if you will. So stay tuned for that. And then we'll see you back here on our regular scheduled programming on January 11th. As always, thanks again for listening. We'll see you right here next week. Take care.